Hi, I'm John. And I'm Ron, and this is Digital Divination on the No Direction Network. We are back for episode 56 of Digital Divination. Excellent. Finally, we're at the episode number that is equal to my age. I know you are dying to know. (laughs) I've been waiting for this. (laughs) Well, welcome. Digital Divination is now as old as us. Yes. Yes. And soon it will be older because we're going to do more episodes. That's right. That's right. That's right. Our next birthdays. So, you know, I I, uh, I got contacted by somebody this week, and I, I thought it would give us a, a kind of a neat topic to discuss. So there's this fella. Um, his name is Jim Clouds. That's what he goes by online. And he runs Loaded Dice Rollers. It's It's been a online actual play podcast for a couple of years. And more recently, he's he's gone on to YouTube. And uh, he started something called RPG All-Stars, where he brings hey. in guests from uh, Hollywood because he's kind of based in Hollywood. He's got a pub there or something and GM's out of. And he brings in stars from uh, uh, fantasy or sci-fi shows like he's had Elijah uh, uh, Wood on there and Sean Astin, which are I think are pretty big names in uh, mm-hmm. uh, in the fantasy realm on his show and a bunch of other lesser known people that I, you know, maybe somebody's really dedicated knows. I have no idea who they are. But he's starting up a new Starfinder campaign and he wants some help from us. Oh, it's always exciting to hear anybody starting up a new campaign, but somebody who's got that kind of visibility starting up a Starfinder yeah. campaign is great for the hobby. Yeah, he um he had posted on the one of the Starfinder Facebook groups, he'd been asking if we were to run a new AP, which one would we do? He already ran Dead Sons, which I think. Oh, is that's what I was going to ask. What is one. what his experience is? Dead yeah. Sons is a. I mean, it's the it's the one that most people start with. We started mm-hmm. with it, so yes, yes. So uh, he started with that, and I actually think uh, against the Aeon Throne, depending on on what he's looking for, would be a, a a next good one to do. But we can talk about that when mm-hmm. we talk with him. See, right? See. It's only half length, but it's uh, right. the author of the first volume of Against the Aeon Throne is both uh, intelligent and humble. Uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, you could give them, uh, that author might be able to give some pointers as to, oh yeah, this is where it's uh, really cool. Make sure you focus on this and ah, this other right. part here, not so much. Yeah. Uh, I played that a long time ago, so I I actually don't remember very much other than there's like a prison somewhere and a couple other things in, throughout the whole series, you know. There is, right. It's actually yeah. not, I'm with the uh, compilation of Dead Sons into a single hardcover, everybody's yeah. kind of looking at, all right, well, what's next? And I don't have any inside information as to what's next or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm kind of sort of side lobbying for Against the Aeon Throne. I feel like that's a good, <laughs> it's a good evergreen yeah. yes. AP. It's not and not as heavy a lift. And yeah. uh, frankly, I'm excited about stories where you get to punch space Nazis. That's yep. That's a, yep. that's a, that's a, that's a timeless classic right there. It is really a straightforward uh setup, you know, compared to like uh Signal of Screams or 
the fly free or die or any of those, I, I think against the Thrones, pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, you go in there, you have a couple side jobs to level up and learn things. You know, mm-hmm. you might have some skill things, a lot of little fighty things. Um, but it's an easy, easy way to kind of build up. And like you said, you have this ever present enemy that you're having to to deal with. And and it's not like, you know, the mysterious monster out in the woods. You kind of know when their movements and kind of what they're like. And so it's a little bit easier, I think, to wrap your head around as a new player. Right. There's not a lot of subsystems to go into either. Yes. Things like the charter system for Horizons mm-hmm. of the Vast or the trade system for Fly Free or Die. Yeah doesn't have some of the complexities of a threefold conspiracy. Yeah, I, I, it's, I agree with you. It's a, it's a good sort of straightforward starter type story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so anybody who's starting up, but I think if, if he's bringing in some, you know, rookie guest stars that haven't, a lot of them don't have tabletop RPG experience, much less Starfinder. I think mm-hmm. that would be a, an easy one. So I think we're in agreement. Maybe that I'd like Donna flame a lot. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, it's kind of a slow burn, so to speak, uh-huh, in terms uh-huh, uh-huh. of how it builds. And then there's that book four in there that just is really whacked out. It doesn't weird match oddball. up. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really build on the story. You know, it's just right. this thing that's all by itself. It's like this huge sidetrack, and I don't. Um, how did that get get in there like that anyway? I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know even who is responsible for that. But here's it's actually it's kind of funny because for the longest time in Pathfinder first edition, we got kind of this reputation yeah. that our stories would in the fifth act, you know, the fifth part of a six part series, the fifth adventure would always go someplace just totally off the wall. And right. Right. maybe, you, you know, that. at the time we thought narratively, you know, it's an interesting break. So you've got this. War for the Crown, which is this deep political intrigue in one particular nation. And oh, in the fifth book, you go to the Outer Plains for, you have to get somebody's soul from the Outer Plains. And so you've got a whole Outer Planar adventure before you come back. I feel like there are a lot of good, strong narrative reasons to have that sort of book five break to kind of get back to the theme and have the theme be, main theme be even stronger. I feel like a lot of people in our community took it as, well, Paizo kind of, they start to meander and don't know what they're doing by about <laughs> book five. So, you know, we, we know yeah. what we're doing from the very beginning. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's part yeah, of yeah. planning these out. Um, but in Dawn of Flame, I think you're, you're on to something. Book four is that. Book four is the, let's deviate from sort of what we've known before. And then when you get back to it and you're much deeper in the sun and you're making mm-hmm. the big, big moves that are very, very deep in the sun, you've got a, uh, you're back to the main through line and a much, uh, a mm-hmm. much sort of feel like you're the bigger, higher level heroes kind of way. So, right, right, right. Yeah. You do pick up some, some kind of cool loot and at the point, you know, you level up and get some cool skills. And mm-hmm. so maybe it's kind of a, a training ground, you know, to prepare the heroes for for what comes next for bigger things. Yeah. Maybe so. Yeah. So the other one I thought is, and I'm kind of biased about this is devastation arc. You know, if, Mm -hmm. if you really want to showcase something and get into cool stuff, I think high level, right. Coming in at high level with everybody has cool things to do, but for a new player, I think that could be really overwhelming. Super intimidating. I think to try to keep track of everything that you've got. I feel like starting a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Well, we've seen that. Well, and that's, That's part of the genuine premise of Intrepid Heroes, right? Is we're actual, mm-hmm. we're real gamers playing the real game. And sometimes we forget stuff or we, yeah. you know, screw up or whatever. That's just fine. That 
mm-hmm. happens at everybody's tables, including ours. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to edit and re-edit till we get it perfect or anything. We're just, all right, well, I forgot this thing. And yes. even in retrospect, like, oh man, if only I'd remembered X, this whole thing would have gone easier. Yes. I get but real when gamers. you do remember X, like last night, I remembered X and that was awesome. It was min- fantastic. You know, I was yeah. like, wow, <laughs> this is really, I mitigated 300 points plus of damage for the whole party. Yeah. That's yep. like, that's good. That's good. So, but I thought that would be cool, but you know, just, it's just kind of too tough. I, I mean, we'll talk to him and see. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things that he had mentioned, and this was kind of in his initial request is can somebody help give him a refresher on the types of things that players often mess up when they're running a Starfinder? things, little th- rules that maybe they misinterpret, or maybe they try to take advantage of. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, sure. You know, I got some experience. I'd be happy to chat with you. And so he contacted me back and said, oh, yeah, I'd love to, to do this. And he, they're actually going to record it for part of their show. So I think that's great. We'll get some exposure. Oh, neat. Okay. But I told him I had to have my good friend Ron here because oh. he's the one that actually knows everything. And I always forget. And I just ask Ron. And, forget. Uh, forget. So. I feel like I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think between the two of us, we'll figure stuff out. You know, I was like, oh, man, that's a lot of pressure. If I got to go on there and explain everything myself um, without, you know, having a script and writing stuff down and notes, it's like, oh, that's like, that's like too much work. But if we could just like (laughs) pretend it's like you and I talking about it and riffing back and forth, I think we'll cover everything and it'll be fun. We'll build up a lot of things. Yeah, Yeah, I feel like there's. I feel like that's actually kind of a loaded question, though. It's like, what what rules do players forget? Well, it depends a lot yeah. on where the players are coming from. Yeah. I feel like players who are coming from Pathfinder 1st Edition into Starfinder mm-hmm. need the least amount of hand-holding. Right. Because things are, are very, very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got to be taught the difference between uh, hit points and stamina and how you use resolve points. Right. But that's really a teaching thing. That's not a thing you might forget. Mm-hmm. People going from other games into Starfinder have other things. Let me, let me give you an example. Anybody coming from a D20 game already knows that once you roll for initiative for a combat, you go around in that order. And in subsequent rounds, you just keep going around in that order. But right. not all games work that way. If you've yes. just come into the, if you're new to tabletop gaming, maybe you played something that's a little more free form or roll every round in the initiative. Even earlier yeah. editions of Dungeons and Dragons, you might have to remember. Oh, that's right. Okay, no, 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 nobody, no, don't roll initiative again. We've already got it set for this combat, right, right. Well, or something like Torg, where you can just kind of choose when you want to jump in, right, you know, right, depending on right, about whatever. Yeah, yeah I don't. I, I think that's probably. I, I'm sure he has a handle on that because he's he's running Pathfinder D and D and and Starfinder. Okay, good, good, good. You if know, that's the world he's coming from, we can tailor yeah, things a little more yeah, specifically. And, and so I think he'll know with his players. I'm just thinking, you know, what are some things that are a little idiosyncratic to Starfinder that might differ? And, and you know, you mentioned uh, stamina and resolve points. So explaining mm-hmm. those, I think stamina is easy. It's like, it's the hit points you take off first and you rec- recover them more quickly, you know? Right. Well, but the trick in that is that things that heal you will mm-hmm. either heal hit points or stamina and right. you've got to pay attention to which is which. Right. Right, right. I think uh, I think that's key. And like, so mystics are great. You know, like a cleric is great in D anD D, but a mystic healing, well, you know, in Starfinder, oftentimes you don't get down to those hit points. It's mm-hmm. the stamina yep. that goes down, and well, then you can recover it with a ten minute rest, typically. Or if you have an envoy, 
that can can offer that up. And there's a couple other, uh, you know, kind of more unique abilities. But the basic one is, you know, you, you, you wait your 10, your 10 minutes and you get it back. And then there's uh, also things like poisons, which do yes. damage to hit points and bypass stamina entirely. That is a that right. is a thing to keep in mind. Right. Poison and radiation effects, mm-hmm. I think, you know, um, the fact that they, they go right to hit points and then, you know, the saves in kind of the, you know, reoccurring uh, nature of the, the, I don't know what you would call it, so radiation poisoning or regular poisoning you get. The actual you disease know, that you get from radi- radiation sickness, yeah. Right, you know, so those are additional things on top of the damage that then you have to be concerned about as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on what level they start off with, they're probably not going to run into that until like fourth or fifth level. But, you know, it would be definitely mm-hmm. uh, something to run in there. Uh, I think the action economy is something that is a little a, a little screwy with Starfinder compared to uh, coming from, uh, if they're coming from D&D, and then mm-hmm. way different than second second edition, edition yeah, oh, yeah. which i think he's been running more recently uh in fact he one of the things he asked is you know what are what are some of the home rules uh you call those home rules you know when you set house uh, rules house yeah. rules that you would set and you know one of them i would set would be i'd make a three action economy for starfinder i think that okay. would just you know you can have um if it's a full round action it takes all three you know, if it's a move action, it's one. Standard action is one. Then you have a swift that could be the third, you know, something like mm-hmm. that. Right. You know, just uh, especially if he's got players coming from second edition, that might actually be easier to to do that. But if he wants to stick straight, then, you know, understanding that um, the, the difference between a move and a move action, I think, is pretty important to distinguish uh, in part because uh, drawing weapons, either, you know, melee weapons or, or ranged weapons, you can do that as part of your normal move or it costs you a move action, but you can't do it as if, part if of a move action. you're just standing there, right. Yes. Right. And which is, I think a lot of players might abuse that or we just make the assumption, well, you're in a dangerous area, you just have your weapon out, you know, but if you don't, then then that that's an issue. Well, right. Um, and specifically, it's that you get a draw in conjunction with moving. One thing I've right. seen is people say, well, I'm going to stand up. That's a move action. As part of standing right. up, I'm going to draw my weapon. No, right. you don't get to draw your weapon as part of any move action. You right. just get to draw it as part of a move. Right. And then as soon as you've committed to doing a move, the all the uh, full actions that you might want to do, you can then no longer do. You can't make a trick attack. Yes. You can't make a, uh, mm-hmm. a full attack. That's all those are all those get sort of shut off to you. As soon as you decide, I'm going to take a move, even an efficient move where you're both moving and then drawing a weapon. Right, right. Now, if I'm, I, I guess I have to look this up, I suppose. Can you always draw a weapon when you move in Starfinder, or do you have to have a base yeah. attack bonus of plus one? That was the rule. Yes. And, ah, yes. so not all first level characters can do that. Right, right. Okay. But by second level, usually it's it's not an issue. Right, right? everybody so, can. You know, but yeah, you know, starting out, so that's a big one. And, and again, a lot of times we just say, hey, you know, you have weapons out. Not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think other other issues related to movement. Um, you know, uh, I think like tumbling is pretty straightforward. You know, move, you can move through friendly squares. You can't move through enemy squares without uh, making a, a, a tumble check. An right? acrobatics check in order yeah. to tumble. I yeah. think that the... Um, one of the things that is standard in Starfinder, which is not standard in other games, is the f- the move- diagonal movement five ten five ten. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
getting people to count that out. People have a tendency mm-hmm. to to go and and this is probably not harmful. But one thing I've seen a lot is people will go, okay, well, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna move diagonally here. I go five, ten, and then they count everything fives thereafter. Yeah, all right. Well, maybe yeah. you end up eking out another square or two. That's not really harmful. But the rule mm-hmm. is that it's five, then ten, then five, then ten. Right. Even if you make some horizontal or vertical movement in between. So you know, oh, you really? can go. So yeah, if, if you, you go, go a whole bunch go, of Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, if you go five and then ten, yeah. and then you turn, so you're gonna straight up, I'm gonna go okay. Oh, let me put it this way. If you go five, ten, five, and then you're like, okay, and then I'm gonna turn, I'm gonna go straight up through these squares, you know. Yeah. All right, five, 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 five. Oh, and then I'm gonna cut this last little diagonal. Yeah. Well, that last little diagonal costs ten feet of movement. Oh, because yeah. You've yeah. already done five, ten, five, ten. Got it, got it. Okay. I thought you meant even if you're going in a straight line, each of those is five, ten, five, no, ten. No, 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 no. Okay. You just have to you have to sometimes yeah. it means you have to remember if you're moving a long right. ways. Well, how long was my last diagonal? Right. And that's a little bit tricky right. sometimes to remember. Right, right. And uh you know, he's doing it online. I I I looks kind of like roll twenty, but I, I I'm not sure what he's using for it. So I mean, a lot of times it has automatic measurement tool as well. It'll so. figure that out for you, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully that's that's not an issue. Um, I'm trying to think what other other main things. Hmm. hmm. Well, there's uh, skill use. This is something that Pathfinder Second hmm. Edition carried. Yeah. And this is worth remembering. The way that skill use works is when you use a skill, you use it to do a thing. Right. Right. You're not just making unacrobatics. Functionally, you're just making unacrobatics check, but you're making an acrobatics check to tumble. You're mm-hmm. making an engineering mm-hmm. check to disable a device. And sometimes right. those have specific rules in there, right? There are some right. types of engineering checks you can make that require a specific kit that you must mm-hmm. have in your right. in your right. Uh, right in your inventory, or you can't do them at all, or you do them with a penalty. And some things you can do even if you don't have that kit. Right. So the fact that skill use can sometimes get a little complicated. One of the things I like to mm-hmm. use to describe it to people is that you're not, don't think of it as you've got these skills. What can these skills do? It's that you've got a whole bunch of sort of abilities you can take, right? You can disable mm-hmm. this device. You can tumble through. How do you disable this? Device? Well, you make an engineering check. That mm-hmm. also helps mm-hmm. people with the type of action they want to take that multiple skills cover, like recalling knowledge. I want, I want to know about this creature. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, certainly. You know how a check to know about a creature goes, but a different skill is going to be used depending on what type of creature it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that sometimes people need to be talked through sometimes right. a little right. bit more. They're too used to in fifth edition. It's like, well, anytime I want to talk to anybody, I'm going to throw my charisma dice and that's going to be good. Right. Well, I mean, it's right. a little more nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the point you made about uh, kits, right, is uh, something that a lot of players early on don't, they don't know. Like, you know, if you're going to hack a computer, you know, getting a, a hacker's kit, if you're going to disable a, a trap, get a trapsmith's tools and things like that. Um, Cause you're right for, for hacking, you actually need a kit. You can't just do it without a kit. Mm-hmm. Other things you get a minus if you don't have it. And right. so that's pretty nuanced. And, and the kits themselves, um, you know, they're like a hundred to 400 credits each. They're not super expensive. Um, so somebody who does a lot of those things, um, probably not first level, you probably buy one kit most, but after second or third level, you just buy all the kits. It's not a, not a huge deal. Well, then here's, a, with, here's maybe house rule territory. Have yeah. you ever been in a game where a GM require, if, if the skill requires a kit that you spend mm-hmm. the action to draw the kit in order to use it, to make right. a check. 
Right. I don't know that anybody does that. I think, okay, you've got it. It's on your, it's on your character sheet. Okay. I'm not ever going to make you pull it out. You just have to have it. Right. Right. Well, and you know, and the other thing about interacting with things, you you know, using your skills, some things it, you know, it'll say, well, this takes a full round action to turn off whatever the thing, or this is a standard action every time you try it. Um, in general, though, I think if it doesn't list anything, I think it's in general a standard action to do it. Mm-hmm. That's right? the to default use, rule, yeah, right. right? That's the default, but sometimes it's longer. Um, so you need to be mindful of that. But you're right; we never, we never actually have the drawing part. Uh, you're taking it out, um, you know. So maybe it's all ready at hand. I don't know. Um, the other thing I was going to mention with skills is the different types of bonuses and making sure you're not trying to stack two bonuses of the same type. I think. That's one of the big issues I ran into when I was making characters, in particular with the operative and with the envoy, because they have special bonuses that are insight bonuses that mm-hmm. won't then stack with other insight bonuses they might get. Oh, I feel like that's a much bigger issue than skills. Skills is a good way to yeah. think about it. That's where it starts to come into play. But yeah, it's a much bigger mm-hmm. rules issue than somebody is going to cast you know, a spell that does a thing plus a class ability that does a thing plus a, you know, equipment. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you get these types of bonuses and how they interact. It's important Mm -hmm. to keep the bonus type. Bonus types is an important limiting mechanic in the game. Right, right, right. You know, and especially, you know, the reason why I I noticed so much with the operative and the envoy, the operative gets their operative's edge, which, you know, starts off relatively small, but can get to be plus three, plus four, plus five, plus six on top of, all their skill roles, right? That's a pretty big bonus, right? Mm-hmm. The operator's edge. And then with the envoy, they get their expertise die, which could, you know, starts off like at what, 1D, 1D4, it goes 1D6, 1D6 plus one, plus two, goes to 1D8, plus one, so on and so forth. Well, again, that's another insight bonus. So if you have something else that gives you a plus two insight bonus, they're not additive. And that's the that's the mistake I was making at leveling up characters, I not understanding, okay. not actually looking at. You know, and that's what players need to look at is what what is the bonus type that you're applying? Make sure that you're not doubling up. Yeah, that's not a surprise. You get a little more excited about what the bonus is. I'm yeah. more excited about the plus two than the circumstance yeah. or insight or whatever that follows right. the plus two. I'm excited about plus two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that uh, I think if you're playing uh, Pathfinder and going to Starfinder, the things that provoke attacks of opportunity, I think that's one that gets a little um, mixed up a little bit. Because in Starfinder, there's only three things that provoke. And one of them is not standing up in a square, which I, that's the one that always throws people off. Oh, so, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, so it's moving um, what out of a threatened square, mm-hmm. uh, casting within, I don't know, casting within, within a threatened, threatened area. Square, yep. A threatened area. And then... Uh, doing a ranged attack from within a threatened area, unless you have something that tells you that that doesn't provoke, you know, the spell type, or you have a special ability like an operative, those things, those things will provoke attacks of opportunity. Unless the creature doesn't have an attack of opportunity left, or the creature hasn't acted yet in that round. So you can't take reactions until you've acted. And that's, I, I think that's different too, as well, right? No, that's the same in, in Pathfinder First Edition. That was the big deal mm-hmm. because if you have one of the things that combat reflexes feet let right. you do right. is be able to make attacks of opportunity before 
you actually get to go in combat. And I remember mm -hmm. that because mm -hmm. one of the, uh, you know, casual phrases around the table, even at a lot of conventions, not just my own tables that I would hear is if somebody, if people got sort of jumped by a monster, combat begins and you're within a creature's reach, but the creature hasn't gone yet. They'll say, all right, well, for my action, I'm going to test it for attacks or for combat reflexes by just backing yeah. away. Does it attack yeah. me when it does that? Right. Oh, um, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that in, in Starfinder, like, it seems like everything has, can do attacks of opportunity. In second edition, it's kind of limited to more creatures that are more martial in the type of attacks they do. Is, I don't that's know that's, that's right exactly way. right. Yeah, yeah, fighters get attack of opportunity sort of as a big, uh, giants, a lot of giants do. Yeah. Anything that is sort of a, uh, you know, a big weapon wielding type right. has is right. likely to have attacks of opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. If other than that, the creatures that have attacks of opportunity are ones that are intended to kind of be sneaky or surprise you, right? Right. If you attack right. some giant bird and the bird has attacks of opportunity with its beak or something, then it's expected mm -hmm. to be sort of one of those cinematic scenes where you try to roll away, but oh, at the last second, it tries to peck down at you. And it's a default thing, so... Yeah, you you said you said sneak, and it reminded me of another difference between second edition in Starfinder in uh, fl how flanking and flat footed work, right? Oh yes, yeah. Because in uh, second edition, if you're flat, if you're flanked, you're flat footed, right? Is that correct? correct. Okay. You're flat footed to the to the creatures that are flanking you. Yeah, right. In Starfinder, you can be flat footed and flanked, and those actually. Both can happen at the same time. Right. Uh, it could be as much as a four-point swing and whether or not you're right. going to hit somebody. That's a pretty big right. deal. It's pretty effective to, right. Where, to you know, stack in those that case, up. Yeah, flanking gives you plus two to your attack. The um, flat-footedness does a minus two to the target's AC. So they don't stack per se, but you're right. It's a four-point AC swing, which I was really surprised to see didn't happen in, in second edition. So that's another thing to... Uh, right. Well, and if, uh, and, and the reason that it's not the case in second edition, because the math is a lot tighter, right. four points is a right. way bigger deal than two points yes. is. And so limiting it to only a two point advantage is still pretty good. Oh yeah. That's the thing that kind of drives me a little nuts about, uh, second edition is like, I'm not like getting new armor and any, you know, nothing's getting buffed up. I'm just, every time I level, I get this, okay. I get a little bit one more point of AC, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. there's no big changes. Like in Starfinder, it's like you level up. Oh, now you can get this bigger, better gear that can have all kinds of additional things to you. So it seems like it's, a, seems like it's a bit more costly um, in Starfinder to, to get this better AC, but you also see a bigger change right, uh, in right. a shorter time period. And well, now and that's, math, right? that makes second edition a little more like fifth edition in that regard. Way, yeah. way back in the uh, first part of fifth edition, my brother ran the early fifth edition adventures, the drag queen of the dragon horde or whatever. Anyway, the, mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things he was kind of free forming a lot of the campaign he was running based on those adventures. We would go off script quite a lot. And he was remarking that one of the biggest mistakes he made was to give the fighter magic weapons and a ma or magic armor and a magic shield right the, because you scale the armor class up too high so high that oh. the fighter just becomes unhittable hmm. um and i mm -hmm. think that second edition knows that that's a real risk and so right. tries to keep it the tries to keep the armor class bonuses that are available for you lower 
mm-hmm. throughout the throughout the whole life of the game. Starfinder, which is building on the Pathfinder first edition model, isn't right. doing that. They're you know their their armor class bonuses are a lot easier to find in Starfinder. Right, and the other thing kind of related to that in in second edition, there's no level limit to like armor. It's just you just have to meet the strength requirement, right? That's correct. Put it on. That's correct. But in Starfinder, the strength requirement—if if it's uh, like heavy armor—then there's there's an issue with that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's a level requirement for you know the thing that prevents you from putting on level twenty gear isn't the fact that it's super heavy; it's the fact that you're not close enough to that level. I guess. Or no, you could oh, do wait, that if you had access. I don't you just know. can't. You can't this buy is... it. Yeah. Right. You can't get it, but yeah. if you happen to find it somewhere, yeah, if then you could use if your it. GM yeah. wanted to make it the reward, I suppose you could. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's wild. Then we that doesn't that happen, I guess. Usually. Right. <laughs> oh, one thing that I think that Pathfinder Second Edition players will get, but Pathfinder First Edition players won't when they move into Starfinder, is that a five foot step is a move action. Yes. Because oh, it was, yeah. so it's, it's yeah, free yeah. in Pathfinder First Edition. You can yes. do it in addition to a bunch of other stuff. And the first time somebody takes a five-foot step either into or out of danger and is told, wait, wait, that's your whole move action right there. Yes. There's always kind of a, a shock. To and then what it's learning. called, right? So it's a five-foot step, it's a step, or it's a guarded step, depending on which of those three systems you're in. <laughs> exactly the main thing right. is none of them provoke attacks of opportunity, and two of them count as as an action but only one of them counts as a move action right because in second edition it is just one of your three actions that's correct yep (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah keeping that straight and i have no idea what fifth edition does with that do they have attacks of opportunity in fifth edition uh, they do this is opportunity attacks i think they're called um and that might be my fourth edition showing i'm i'm in an online fourth edition game that i've that i play (laughs) but I, the way that fifth edition does it is not, it doesn't strike me as particularly intuitive. It's mm-hmm. got a, uh, a disengage action. Oh, wow. And once you take the disengage action, which I believe is a standard action, all that does is protect your movement. So mm-hmm. if you want to back away, you say, I disengage and then I, then I move away. And that movement isn't going to take uh, opportunity attacks because I've already disengaged. Now that mm-hmm. is, basically withdrawing yeah you know from from combat but it does make things interesting because you can have types of characters rogues and monks who get to disengage as a bonus action oh so oh i make my attack and then haha you know and now i'm going to dance away and you're not going to be able to respond back the Mm -hmm. real the the reason that becomes confusing to players uh pathfinder players going over to fifth edition that i've seen is that or even new fifth edition players is they say okay i'm going to disengage all right, well, disengaging, how far do I move when I disengage? And the answer is you don't move at all. All you're doing is readying yourself to move in a safe way. That's what disengaging mm. is. Okay, um, okay. So it, it it handles that differently. They've still got the uh, the same types of attacks. You're still thinking about how to get away from them. Um, but the other thing about 5th edition is you can move around pretty freely within somebody's threatened area. It's only when you leave it that you mm-hmm. actually take the attack of opportunity. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. As, as I heard it put really early on, fifth edition only punishes cowardice, right? If you're <laughs> if you're just running around to the other side of the monster, great, no problem, you're free to do yeah. that. If you're actually yeah. going to run away from the monster, then oh, then there's trouble. Wow. Um, wow. There's also how you can cast spells with the attack of opportunity. Starfinder feels very punitive in that regard, mm-hmm. in that if you get hit at all, 
There's no right. concentration check. There's no ability to recover. You just, once right. you get hit, your spell is done with. When you provoke mm -hmm. and you take the attack, that's, it's a much higher risk to take a spell, to cast a spell right. when you're in somebody's threatened area. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's one of the, because in second edition, they don't, you don't necessarily get an attack of opportunity. And if you do get hit, what happens? If you do get hit, generally nothing happens unless you are critically hit. Okay. And then the action that you were taking gets disrupted. Right. So if you're trying to move, you don't move. If you're trying to manipulate something to cast a spell, then you don't do that. Higher level mm -hmm. creatures will sometimes have an ability that's, you know, oh, so-and-so gets an attack of opportunity and they disrupt on any hit, not just right. a critical hit. Got it. Got it. Uh, critical hits you mentioned, uh, they're probably the same if you're coming from first edition or fifth edition, right? It, on a 20. I don't, can you get right. a critical in less than a 20 in fifth edition? Uh, I think with the right feats, you know, keen, I think they have the right. equivalent of keen weapons and things like that. Okay, I think they've they got do. ways okay. to make it a little yeah, lower. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, but second edition, if you're coming from it, that's like a completely different animal then, you know. So, right. Um, well, and it's also it's also a little bit sad to play a lot of second edition yes, and then yes. go into Starfinder and go, oh, I hit this person by like, I hit him by like 15. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but I don't crit him, right? I just hit him really kind of well, I guess. It's all, you know, good job. You know, that's all but, you get you know, for it. In Starfinder, that doesn't happen a lot. You know, especially like when we're playing a high level. It's like, mm -hmm. I almost never... Am 10 over what I need to hit, you know? I guess that's true. More, yeah. but I'm seeing it because I'm quite frequently as the monsters are getting yes. more than 10 over yes. what I need to hit yes. you guys. So I don't so like maybe it's, maybe it's for, Maybe it's for the best it doesn't have that rule in Starfinder. Right, right. Um, I was thinking of something else that just came to mind in terms of character building that mm -hmm. it actually could be confusing for some folks. Um, how you build your stamina pool and how you build your hit point pool. For doing it right oh because one comes from the class, class and the other comes from the race right and so your hit points are you get your class bonus and first level you get a race score mm -hmm. and then every subsequent level you get your class score to it mm -hmm. um, for stamina you get your class score plus your constitution modifier and that's oh, how you yeah go. right yeah that's so, how the constitution modifier plays in Right. Um, which can be confusing because if you're talking just regular hit points, it's like, oh, this is what I get from my class plus my constitution modifier. And it, do all the games just give a flat amount? You're not rolling anymore for hit points? I don't think anybody rolls anymore. I feel, I feel like that's yeah. uh, kind of punitive. If you roll yeah. if you roll one of some level, it's, it has a ripple effects that make you sort of frail throughout your entire adventure career. And yes. that's just, it's kind of less fun. Well, yeah. When, when I played second edition back in the day, that's what we did. And that was very sad. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had another thing that I was thinking is the how you help your friends do stuff. How you? Oh aid. yeah. Yes. Because I one of the things that I can that I see so commonly done wrong that I almost kind of wonder if it shouldn't be the rule is that when people are aiding, it's like, oh, you three people, you're going to help. All right, well, let's all roll, and whoever gets the highest gets a bonus based on the number of people that succeed. That's not the rule. No, you're supposed to right. pick a main character right. ahead, before anybody touches their dice. Yes. Who's going to be leading and who's going to be helping? Right. But I think the I think people push towards the the other way that I described because it makes everybody feel like they could be kind of the the hero, right? 
right. if we're all going to roll whoever gets the best and then, you know, get a, get a bonus based on whoever's got the best, that really could, well, any of us, you know, could do it. If I'm just helping and I've got a plus nine, I don't know. Right. Why am I even picking up my dice? Okay, you get your plus two from me. Right. And that's in Starfinder, you know, and if mm-hmm. you're coming from, you know, second edition, in Starfinder, you only need a, a 10 to assist rather than what? A much higher score, right? In oh, yeah. Edition. 20 sometime. 20 yeah. usually. And then there's a risk of giving a penalty and that they don't, right. the bonuses don't stack. And yeah, mm-hmm. second edition helping is very, aiding is very different. Right. And we don't have that. We don't have that in uh, Starfinder. There's no penalty if you fail to aid. Right. Um, speaking of of failures, automatic failures, um, if you roll a one, that's only an automatic failure for what? For attack rolls saving and saving throws. throws. And, yeah, and attack rolls. Right. Uh, for skill skill checks, it's not. And I think that's something. Is that the case in other systems? I'm 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 not sure. I don't know. It's the case in 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 well, st- second edition does it a little bit differently. What a one yes. does is it increases your your failure by one step. Right. So even if you were so good that you would succeed at something, an attack or a skill, anything, a saving throw, if mm-hmm. you rolled a one, if that would result in a success, you knock it down by one step to be, okay, it takes your success to a failure. Almost right. always it takes a failure to a critical failure. But the rule right. is that you still figure out what your result is and then knock it down by one step. It's the same. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of a 20. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... So I'm trying to think other things like in second edition, I noticed there's a lot more um, secret GM roles for things. It seems like, mm-hmm. or if you're stealthing um, uh, contested roles, you know, so stealth versus yeah, there's no contested roles in second edition. You're doing a yeah. DC based on somebody else's right thing. Right. That's, and uh, one of the things I really like about fifth edition is they use that for, you know, the passive scores, passive mm-hmm. perception and passive insight. I'm not going to make my people roll a perception. Then they'll know something's up. I'll just say this requires a passive perception of 14 to notice. And I've already know Mm -hmm. who's got what scores and passive perception. So I can Mm. just say, oh, keen eyed elven ranger. You happen Mm -hmm. to spot, you know, the edge of the secret door or whatever. Right, Um, right, right. We've got how much time do we have in this uh, this interview? We've got we've got a lot of stuff. I don't know. I'm making a little little list here. Tell me me if this good. Tell me if this list seems like it works out. Okay. Okay. So. uh, hit points and stamina points, yeah. and maybe the later point about character build is something yeah. to, to pay attention there. Um, the the action economy that it's yeah. the standard and the move and the um, and then we branched off of that to move action specifically. How you combine right. them with drawing weapons, how you do diagonals. Uh, we talked about skills and skill uses a little bit, and then some right. equipment that you need to have in order right. to use some of those skill activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, which led us to talking about types of bonuses right. that you have, Still making bonuses. sure that they don't stack together. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about, and then kind of a grab bag, we talked about attacks of opportunity, that there are only three things that cause those, and to keep those right. in mind, mm-hmm. uh, that five-foot steps aren't free. Right. They, they, they're move action. Maybe right. that ought to be part of them. Let me, I'll draw an arrow there. <laughs> that, ought, <laughs> that ought to be everything I need for yeah. the interview uh, that we're doing later. Um, uh, aiding mechanics and how you help each right. other. And then uh, what happens on a natural one? The only things that you fail on a natural one is mm-hmm. is a little more limited. Right. Um, so I feel like that that's a, that's a kind of a lot of stuff, but I think that's a very helpful list. Is there anything yeah, you should and, add to this? 
Well, he's going to have questions. I just, I was just thinking we should talk topics of things just to make sure we had we, something did, to say. <laughs> does he not realize that we just get, we just start talking and we don't stop? That's how we well, do it. <laughs> I guess I, I don't know. I, I don't. He's. I don't know that he's ever seen or heard any of our shows. I mean, I'm not going to be supposed that. Um, but you know, as soon as I mentioned that I had this, uh, uh, you know, Paizo, uh, I forget if it's managing developer or developer management, uh, development manager, development manager, uh, that was, you know, I could bring along. He said, Oh, that would be brilliant. So, uh, yeah. So I think he's counting on you. (laughs) And then he learned which development manager it was and reconsidered. (laughs) 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 I was the only one we got left. Everybody else was, uh, was out to launch. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think we'll be ready. We're we're recording this later today, so you be ready for that. Right. And uh, we'll give it a go. All right. All right. I'm I'm John. And I'm Ron, and this is Digital Divination.